Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. Hey, Chris. How are you? Good, good. I think we just jump right into this. Talking about feed tags today, and, and, and I know people are like, oh gosh, really interesting topic, but very important, right? Absolutely. Yes, you probably are saying this is boring, but it gives a ton of information. And I think sometimes we are guilty of just kind of grabbing something for other reasons. And if you look at the feed tag, it helps you make sure you're picking the right feed for your horse. So when you do look at a feed tag, it can be overwhelming. It, it, it's stuffed with information, but it's very important, right? Yes, lots and lots of information. You know, if you look at a tribute tag, it can be quite a bit longer than some other feeds, and that's because we're putting things in addition to what's required, but probably a good place to start is just what's required and why. And the why is that there's an organization called AFCO, the Association of American Feed Control Officials, and they really write guidelines that are intended to make sure there's at least a minimum amount of information on a feed tag that is required. And then there are some individual state requirements in addition to that. But your typical feed tag, so things that would be required, things like product name and brand, the purpose statement, so what species is it made for and what class of feed. So you might see a feed, you know, a textured feed formulated for working horses or a pelleted feed designed for breeding and lactating mares. So that would be your purpose statement. After that, you have the guaranteed analysis. And the guaranteed analysis, there are some certain things that are required to be on it. I will run through these really quickly. But you have crude protein, crude fat, crude fiber. Recently, ADF and NDF were added to that requirement as well. You're going to require a minimum and a maximum calcium requires phosphorus, copper, zinc, selenium, and vitamin A are all ones that are specifically required for equine tags. Other things, you need to have feeding directions. The feeding directions don't necessarily have to be on the tag. For example, our tag is so long that we actually put the feeding directions on the bag, but they are required to be on the packaging somewhere. You're going to have your feed ingredients, and we can talk about those in more depth for sure. And then, you know, who manufactures it, the address of the manufacturer. Those are all things that would be required to be on a feed tag. I think it would be good to, to address it here. Why does Tribute include all those other nutrients that a lot of other feed companies don't? Yeah, I mean, one, we're very proud of the level of fortification of our feed. I mean, part of it is showing that we are adding you know, more fortification. And it's just good transparency. It helps make people make decisions when that information is on there. There is some confusion because there are some nutrients that we list. There aren't necessarily recommended minimums for those, but we still provide that information. There are other things, for example, iron would be one. People assume we do put the iron amount on the tag and a lot of other people don't. And there's this misconception that if it's not listed on the guaranteed analysis, that there's not iron in the feed. And that's not true. There's iron in every feed from the base ingredient. So that can be a little bit confusing sometimes. Well, I think it gives owners, it, it, 
comfort in knowing what they're feeding their horse so they can see that and see all the other nutrients that it's fortified. Now, really quickly, I know this is a lot of chemistry, but how do they determine the guaranteed analysis? Maybe just helpful for owners to know how we come up with those numbers. So where those come from is that you have specific targets that you're looking to formulate for. So we use a formulation system and I might decide that I want to feed that is 12% crude protein, 10% fat, so on and so forth. And then I'm going to use my formulation software that has all of my ingredients and we do robust ingredient testing so that we have really good information on those inputs. And then we also have very tiny ranges that will allow from suppliers because we do use fixed formulas, which means I need that variation to be very small so I can keep my formulas the same. But essentially, I formulate to meet those specific targets. And then once I put them on the tag, I'm guaranteeing to you that that feed will meet those targets. And then, you know, there can be additional testing and things like that that will double check to make sure those targets are being met out in the marketplace. And then when it says minimum, what is that telling the owner what the minimum percentage is? So most of the nutrients on the tag are minimums. There are a few that are maximums. Um, Some, for example, like calcium and salt, you have to put a minimum and a maximum. So you're guaranteeing it's within that range. And really, those are all a function of what's required. But when you're formulating you're going to be formulating to be very close to that minimum. So you would meet, but not over exceed that value. So you can feel confident that if it says it has 60 PPM of copper, if you tested it, it would be very, very close to 60 PPM of copper and it wouldn't fall below that number. There are a few things that are maximums and really the reason for that, it's our fiber values. So crude fiber, and then the recent addition of ADF and NDF, And, you know, the fundamental reason for that is there are ingredients that you could put in a feed that would add lots of essentially indigestible fiber. So someone can kind of sort that out based on the fiber values, because if you had a feed that was, you know, 55% fiber, that'd be a good indicator that there's not very digestible nutrients in there. So we want to make sure we're using good quality fiber and that's a positive thing, but it also, you know, requires some transparency on ingredient use. That's a good explanation, Nicole. Now, this is this one's tricky, but as an owner, you know, feeding all these different products, how do we tell if these ingredients are quality? It it is that is a tricky question. Yeah. You know, how that... do I, you know, how do I ensure I'm I'm feeding quality protein or fiber or source of minerals? One of the first things you can do is actually look at the list of ingredients and see that they are using what are called fixed terms versus collective terms. So a fixed term would give you the very specific ingredient, beet pulp, dehydrated alfalfa meal, and down the line. Collective terms just give you a broad category, and we'll use fiber, for example. So you might see roughage or forage products. That allows them to interchange what products they're using that fall under that collective term. And halfway jokingly, I kind of say, if they're not telling you what exactly is in it, that may be because there are things that they're not especially proud that are in the feed because there are those amazing sources of fiber, our soy hulls, our beet pulp, our dehydrated alfalfa meal. And then there are other things that fall into that same category, like rice hulls, peanut hulls, oat hulls. They're essentially indigestible to the horse. 
They still increase the crude fiber value on the tag, so they could be used to make a quote-unquote senior feed, but the horse would get essentially nothing from them. So that's a really good place to start is to look at, are they the exact ingredients? And then from there, I think, you know, one of the biggest things is working with a group that you have trust in, because if you Google ingredients, there are all sorts of ingredients that as a nutritionist, I would say are very healthy. They bring great things to the horse's diet. And you will find someone somewhere that says it's a terrible ingredient for some interesting reason or another. So I think that's one thing. I mean, working with a company that you do trust that they're making decisions on ingredients with the best interest of your horse in mind. No, it's good at talking about like, you know, I think the fixed formulation, how you've explained that in the past on other podcasts too, it, it, it really makes a lot of sense. With some of the things that tribute sources, you know, source of ingredients that may make them a better quality versus some of these cheaper feeds we see on the market. You know, I'm thinking minerals and vitamins and all those other things. Yeah, no, great question. So I would say one thing from a safety perspective, we are very, very strict on where we source these things from. So trusted partners, every facility that any ingredient comes from has to be IANA for free. That's something that's very, very important. Beyond that, looking at the quality of ingredients. So a great example would be minerals. You have what are called organic trace minerals. And it's not organic in the sense of like food production. It's organic trace minerals are a category of minerals where the mineral molecule itself is connected to a carbon. That's what makes it organic is that carbon molecule connected to it. And there are multiple different minerals that would check the box of counting as an organic trace mineral. Not all of them are as bioavailable to the horse. So the one that we use in tribute that is an organic trace mineral is a trace mineral complex with an amino acid. And the reason for that is that amino acid, it protects the mineral from competition in the digestive tract. And it also uses a novel approach to actually entering from the digestive tract into the blood. So we get it into the horse's digestive tract. It still actually has to be absorbed across the intestinal barrier. Lots of our minerals are competing at the same transport site. So that means it's tough to get them in if there's a lot of background iron, for example. That amino acid complex organic trace mineral uses the amino acid transporter. So basically, if you think about it, you could have a really busy freeway. We'll call that our normal mineral absorption pathway. But you're from the area, you know a background, a back road, you're able to get around it. And that's essentially what we're doing. So we're still meeting the horse's trace mineral requirements by using a different pathway to get into the horse's body. Not all of your organic trace minerals actually have data to show that they have that extra back road to get from the intestine into the actual blood of the horse where it's useful. So that would be an example where just because something checks the box of organic trace mineral doesn't mean your horse is getting a whole lot of benefit from it. You know, another one would be probiotics. I think a lot of times we definitely look at things and think more is better. So if I'm comparing feed A and feed B, and feed A has 1 billion CFUs of probiotics, that must be better than feed B that has 350 million CFUs. That's not true even a little bit. Because the strain, how it's protected to get through the horse's digestive tract, a lot of your probiotics were designed for cattle. They need to work in the rumen. That's the first place feed goes. The 
stomach in a cow is after the rumen, which is kind of the equivalent of the horse's hindgut where we want the probiotic to go. In a horse, it has to go through the stomach first. The stomach is acidic. It's meant to protect the body from pathogens. So it could kill a lot of your probiotics before they get where we need them to go. So there are things like that that are a little bit more tricky when you look at it. And, you know, having that nutritional understanding is something I don't expect the average horse owner to have to have. I mean, you and I went to school forever and, you know, you still continue to learn so that we can be experts in these things and help make those decisions of, yes, an organic trace mineral is better. Here's the specific one that's going to work best in the horse or probiotics. We all know are a good thing. What's an effective strain? So these are all kind of some of those intricacies that if you want to learn about, I mean, we're happy to help answer any questions, but those are things that you can see on a tag. So if you look for our organic trace mineral, it's an amino acid complex trace mineral versus a protonate or a glycinate or a hydroxy. It's so complex. Oh, I feel for the horse owners. It It is. And it, you can see, I can see your brain working and I can hear you. And you're right. I mean, it, it, and you constantly are learning. You're going to conferences. You're talking to colleagues across the world in equine nutrition. So, you know, I, I think it helps owners feel more comfortable that they know there's a lot of brain power behind these formulations. So, yeah, good, good explanation. One thing that came up when you were talking about that is sourcing all of these quality products. How might that affect the price of the feed? So we have an incredible purchasing group that helps us work through things where the safety is incredibly important. The nutrition is really important. We're absolutely looking for the best value, but we have some fundamental philosophies that we want to stick to even as we see these fluctuations in feed prices. So the fixed formula, for example, would be one, even though commodities are increasing and changing in prices, I still think that that formula is the best for the health and performance of the horse. So I'm not going to go in and switch ingredients in order to save costs. And I think you end up seeing that in the horse long-term. You know, we had that whole podcast that we talked about costs where it's more than the cost per debt per bag. It's looking at the cost per day. But some of those little things like picking the right organic trace mineral, picking the right probiotic. And I will say we continue to do research to find what is the next thing, or I'm really happy with today's probiotic. That doesn't mean I didn't write a study a year ago to look at other probiotics just in case there's something better. But anyways, by picking those really quality ingredients, I find that less supplements are needed. So you see that in the horse long term in their health, in their performance, you don't find you're as often having to add things like a hoof supplement or an extra gut supplement because all of those are built into the feed. So that's where those ingredient choices and balancing value are something that we work really hard at. Yeah, I think that was the most surprising thing in that that podcast was, you know, when you add those supplements, instead of a few cents a day difference between a, a low quality and high quality feed, you're talking dollars per day when you start adding all these things like a hoof supplement and a vitamin mineral mix and, you know, it just really dramatically increases the price. I, I guess some final tips. What are some of the things owners should also be aware of that's on the fee tag or that they should read on a fee tag? That's a great question. I mean, I would say the big ones are looking at that ingredient list, looking at the feeding directions, just to make sure that you've picked something that from a quantity standpoint 
makes sense for your horse. If you have a really easy keeper and you need to feed a minimum of six pounds of that product per day, either you're going to underfeed it and your horse is not going to miss out on some nutrition or you're going to overfeed it and they're going to gain too much weight, which also isn't healthy. So those are big ones. I will say, you know, the other thing on the feed ingredients that is a little bit tricky, just because they have the ingredients listed doesn't mean it's guaranteed to be a fixed formula. So that is something to be mindful of. You can always reach out and ask a company, are you using fixed formulations? I wouldn't assume that But if you see collective terms, that's a pretty good hint that they probably are least cost formulating. Well, it's a good explanation, a good overview on fee tags and why they're important. And and hopefully our listeners will, you know, if they don't already, I'm sure a lot of them do, but if they don't already pay attention, you know, they, they at least will look at it now and go, oh, that's what that means. And oh, okay, I get it. I get it. So hope they, they find that useful. And if you have any questions, you know, please reach out to us on social media. You know, we've been starting to ask for, for listener questions. So feel free to uh, submit anything. So we do have our first question that came in and this is a question from Sandy and Sandy wanted to know if we had any special feeds for horses that are insulin resistant. Fantastic question. We've done a couple podcasts on this, so definitely go back and listen to those. But I will say that we have a couple different options depending on your horse's energy needs. So most of our insulin resistant horses are easy keepers. And in that case, Essential K or Wholesome Blends Balancer would be the two products that we would recommend. Ration balancers, highly concentrated in nutrients, low feeding rate, they're low NSC, and that combined with the low feeding rate means it is the lowest amount of sugar and starch a horse will eat in a single meal, which is perfect for keeping those insulin spikes from happening. Unfortunately, not all of our insulin-resistant horses are easy keepers. Every once in a while, we have one that's a harder keeper, and a product like Calm and Easy that has some added fat but still low NSC is a great option for those horses. So we would encourage you to reach out to talk about an individualized feeding plan, but that's a couple products that I would maybe do a little research on that could be a good fit for your insulin-resistant horse. That's a great question, Sandy. Thank you so much. And for anybody listening, if you have questions, either reach out on social media or in our show notes, there's always a contact contact us here a link. You can click on that, submit your questions, and we're going to start doing this each week. You know, try to address as many of them as, I, as we can. But thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing this podcast. Thank you for the reviews on iTunes. That That is very helpful to us in circulation. But thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks. And look forward to another podcast chatting about horses next time, Chris.